It really called into question the current model of a lot of Spanish TV. So they're starting at the gutter. La Portada podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. We are here to read all of the Spanish news so that you don't have to. It's crazy. I've just been watching the Spanish media ecosystem fall apart at the seams. Let's delete me talking about my wife. Yeah. I just want to talk about the, all the optics. Let's talk the drama, let's talk the drama. <laughs> my apologies to any drunk Brits out there who may have been offended. Our Twitter thread is cursed. I mean, yeah, go back and listen to our coverage last no, no, week. Don't, don't. <laughs> ¿Listos? Sí. Vamos allá. Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I'm here with my co-host Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are here talking to you direct into your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We take a deep dive into all the Spanish news so that you don't have to. How are you this week, Lily? I'm pretty good, Simon. How are you? I'm very tired again. <laughs> it's tired. Just, just getting to the end of the week is, is, is killing me at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it's rough. I had a lovely week, actually. I was uh, asked to join the small team behind Sonda, which we talked about on the podcast oh, a couple of weeks from ago. Santi Palacios. That's right. So that was very exciting and unexpected. Actually, their first big report is out and well worth read if our listeners are interested. And now I'm just looking forward to Halloween. Are you, are you and the boys doing uh, trick-or-treating? Oh, definitely. Yeah, my son, my youngest son went off to school today dressed as Huggy Wuggy. Now, you not having children will no. not know who Huggy Wuggy is, but I, I, go and look him up. to hear those words come out of your It's mouth. terrifying. The song says something like, I'm going to hug you till I die. And it's like this blue monster. It's really... I'll, we'll put it on the Twitter <laughs> link. We'll add some Huggy Wuggy. Um, but yeah, it's always good fun. I, I managed to absolutely scare the living daylights out of some girls, some girls who came and did trick-or-treating last year. I put my mask on and... Uh, what and was just, the mask? It was one of those, you know, horror masks and just, oh, right. just screamed at them. Oh, <laughs> I've actually good. got that on the security video, so I might add oh, that. Oh, good, I'll yes. add that to our Twitter, oh, to our Twitter uh, thread as well, because that, that was brilliant. I'd love that. All right, so as is now becoming customary, a massive thank you to our supporters on Patreon. We have nearly 30 of you now inviting us to a... Wow. Relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. So thank you so much. Your support means that we can continue with the podcast for now. If you aren't already signed up to Patreon... Seriously, what's wrong with you? You'll get the podcast on Fridays instead of Sundays and you'll get bonus content every week. The last two episodes saw me take a deep dive into the world of Spanish newspapers and Spanish television. And this week we're going to give you a rundown of some legendary phrases uttered by Spaniards over the years. Uh, you need to know these phrases if you want to take your language and your cultural skills to the next level. Um, so sign up today right now at patreon.com forward slash la portada pod so you can get the most out of this podcast go on off you go <laughs> go and sign up don't worry we'll wait we'll be here 
On this week's show, we'll be considering some worrying new reports on the environment and what they mean to Spain. I'll be interviewing Phil Kitramilides, who is the English language television presenter for Spain's La Liga Football League. But first, we are going to have a look at the thorny issue of sedition in Spanish law and its wider political consequences. So, Lily, take it away. week has been dominated by a political debate surrounding the crime of sedition and specifically whether the Spanish government will reform and loosen punishments associated with it. It's not a law you hear used a lot, but in recent years it's been most famously associated with the Catalan independence push of 2017. So we're all on the same page. Spanish law interprets sedition as a public and tumultuous uprising against the law or authorities, rather than just speech inciting it like it is in other countries. So currently the punishment is 8 to 10 years in prison for the main culprits and 10 to 15 years if they're in a position of authority. Now, Pedro Sanchez's government made a commitment to reducing the sentence almost two years ago, but he still hasn't. And now his party attempts to garner support for their proposed budget. The reform of the crime of sedition has come up once again. Simon, why? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So obviously this all has its roots in the Catalan independence drive, which I'm sure we don't need to go into too much detail about detail about. Everyone remembers that that, you know, was the, the came to a head in the year 2017 when we had the illegal referendum on independence in the Catalonia region uh, and then the regional government declared unilateral uh, independence from the rest of Spain and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, of course, at that time, the popular party, the conservative popular party government was in power. They were very combative with um, the Catalan uh, regional authorities, uh, whereas since the Socialist Party government which governs in coalition with Unidas Podemos, came to power, there's been a change in tack. And the Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez um, has been seeking a political solution to the tensions over Catalonia. He said specifically, you know, we need to move on to a new era. And part of that is this promise to uh, change the laws around sedition, or at least to change the um, to change the punishment for sedition. Um now, as we also no doubt remember, the you, the independence leaders from Catalonia were put on trial in the Supreme Court. Nine of the defendants, uh, they were politicians and also civil association leaders, were found guilty in the Supreme Court. They were given set prison sentences um, of up to 13 years in the case, for example, of um, the former uh, leader of the Catalan Republican left, uh, Oriol Junqueras. Um, those people that were sent to prison have already been pardoned. Again, part of Sanchez's, uh, you know, approach to cool attentions, they've been released from jail. What's the problem? Well, there are still some of these pro-independence leaders who are outside of Spain in self-imposed exile. Uh, the most famous, obviously, is Carles, Carles Puigdemont, who was the regional premier at the time of the events of 2017. He fled Spain. He's been living in Belgium since. And of course, he would be one of the people who would benefit if there was a change to the prison sentences. So if he were to come back to Spain, 
he would immediately be arrested, uh, most likely be put on trial for the same offences that the other pro-independence leaders faced. Obviously, the difference would be is if they changed the sedition law, then he would get a lesser sentence. But, I mean, who knows? If he went to jail anyway, would he not just end up getting pardoned with the rest of them? I don't I don't know. I don't know if the fact that he fled and has been living in this self uh, self-imposed exile since then, I don't know if that would mean that his case was different. Better or worse, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, there are other um, pro-independence leaders who are still living abroad. There's uh, Tony Comin, Clara Ponsati, and uh, there's also Marta Rovira. Now, Marta Rovira, uh, she's the general secretary of the Catalan Republican left. Um, she fled Spain after the uh, events of 2017 she didn't leave at the time and there's no international arrest warrant out for her but she would also be arrested if she returned to Spain she's only facing a sedition charge so she would really be the one that benefits most from this initiative to change the law but of course these pro-independence leaders are also facing other um, charges including um, misappropriation of funds so in this whole debate Sanchez has also been talking about bringing the sedition laws in line with the rest of Europe because um, this is interesting um, Puig Puigdemont when he's been in other countries such as Germany Belgium and Italy um, the Spanish authorities have wanted him to be extradited from those countries on the basis of this international arrest warrant out against him. But because in their law, um, sedition is either dealt with differently or, you know, maybe doesn't exist at all, uh, they've not been able to get that extradition to happen. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why uh, Puigdemont has not been brought back to Spain. So the Prime Minister of Spain has been talking about bringing it in line, the law in Spain about sedition, bringing it in line with the rest of Europe, uh, and that means reducing the um, jail time because it's um, because it's uh, it's above the average in Spain uh, compared to the rest of the EU. So it looks like politically the coalition government would have the support to make this change in the Congress of Deputies. Don't forget, as again as we know, the, the socialists and uh, their coalition partners Unidas Podemos. Uh, governing in a minority in Congress. Um, so they need the support of other parties, of course, one of the key parties being the Catalan Republican left. But some parties might push for further changes to the criminal code, so not just this one. Some Catalan parties are even suggesting a change to the offence of misappropriation of public funds so that there would be a distinction between those who are <laughs> misappropriating public funds for political means, which mm. is basically what happened in mm. Catalonia to set up the referendum and so on, and those who are using them for you know personal, personal yeah. enrichment to get rich, basically. There are also maybe some nerves about doing this among the um, party chiefs in the PSOE uh, because we've got regional elections coming up in May of next year but really the big story related to this has just been happening in the last couple of days we're recording on a friday and this is the big story on all the uh, news programs this morning a couple of episodes in this podcast i went into that long and you know sleep inducing <laughs> explanation of um, why the conservative popular party is blocking the renewal of spain's judiciary including the um, general council of the judiciary which is the cgpj which is like spain's legal watchdog um well it seemed like there was a deal between the government and the PP, new PP leader Alberto Núñez uh, Feijó on its, uh, it seemed that this deal was on its way but then on Thursday all hell broke loose and basically Feijó backed out right at the last minute 
using this issue about sedition um, as the excuse. It's the latest in a long, <laughs> long line of excuses mm. that they've um, been citing for not uh, uh, not doing what is their constitutional um, duty. So the Pessoa were really surprised by this. They basically said that, you know, right up until the last minute, the, the PP was not linking the two things. They weren't linking these reforms um, to the sedition laws, to the talks about the CGPJ. But I guess for the PP and certainly for the hardline sectors of the PP, reform to the sedition law plays into their argument about how the PSOE is in the thrall of parties and politicians who want to see the destruction of Spain. So I guess the uh, approach here is that anything that is to do with you know, appeasing the Catalan nationalists is bad. And that's why the PP uh, are saying, no, no, we can't do it. And now this is our excuse for not, um, for not uh, uh, going ahead with the deal about the CGPJ. Um, You know, while Sanchez wants to bring the sedition law in line with that of other countries, Fejo actually wants to make it even tougher. That's one of his campaign promises. If he ends up being, um, prime minister next year at the uh, elections late in 2023 pedro sanchez has reacted furiously to this um talking to reporters he's been on a, an official trip to uh, africa he was complaining that the pp had leaked the content of their conversations about the cgpj while they knew he was traveling on a plane um, Sanchez has been very frank. He basically came out and said that it had all been agreed. And that he said that Fejo's knees had trembled and basically he'd got cold feet. Um, and Sanchez's argument, he insists that, you know, this was a campaign promise. Um, he mm. said that he told Fejo that it, the PP is not a party of state, which is something that we've discussed a lot on this podcast about how you know, the PP just can't back the government even when it is a matter of state mm. or an important issue like this one. And he also criticised him for not having shown autonomy uh, nor leadership. So let's see how this plays out for Fejo. I mean, I'm not uh, a fan, I must say, of um, his style of leadership so far. It looks like his honeymoon period in the polls is already over. He's starting to lose support, according to the latest polls. And what's more, he's had kind of a series of embarrassing incidents um, so far, such as, you know, very vocally backing tax cuts. Then the Liz Truss debacle mm. took place in the UK. So that's kind of, um, I guess that's off the table for a little while. He also opposed the so-called Iberian exception on energy pricing, but that has since been embraced by the EU. And let's not forget this blocking of the CGPJ is totally unconstitutional. Um, and this is just seems to be Fejo finding yet another excuse to um, evade the party's responsibilities. Um, just on a side note, there's been, there's been I think a few I know what funny you're gaps. Say. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, apart from, apart from large political missteps, there's been quite a few embarrassing like gaffes yeah, publicly. A few. Uh, Pedro Sanchez forgot what African country he was in this week. Uh, it looked really bad. He kept saying he was in Senegal uh, when he was making a speech when he was standing at a lectern with literally the word Kenya <laughs> right oh up there. Goodness. So let's have a quick listen to that. I'm very honoured. Uh, to be one of the first uh, international leaders uh, um, visiting um, you as uh, president of uh, Senegal. I'm really looking forward to working. Oh, Kenya, sorry, sorry, of Kenya. I'm really looking forward to working <laughs> together with you and uh, and with uh, and with your ministers. And then Fejo thought that George Orwell's <laughs> 1984 was written in the year 1984 when it was, That's... in fact, written at the end of the 1940s. And uh, I believe that uh, 
um, George Orwell was long dead. By oh, that's <laughs> rough. Oh, <laughs> how embarrassing. But I actually thought he handled it quite well on Twitter. Did you see that tweet? I did, and I actually I was I was getting some flack yesterday for criticizing Fehor. Someone accused me of being left wing media, which is quite funny. I don't know if I don't know which left wing media I work for anymore because <laughs> yeah. I certainly don't. I couldn't tell you which one they were referring to, but yeah, he did. And fair's fair. I did retweet uh, Fehor today. He put out a nice tweet and said, uh, you know, anyone can make a mistake. And he not only referred to his gaffe with uh, Orwell, but he also referred to uh, Pedro Sanchez yeah. having got mixed up about Africa and just said look you know we all make mistakes and he pointed to a funny um mock-up that someone had done of um the characters from back to the future <laughs> going off to talk to george orwell about um about writing his book early and also we have to put his fashion shoot did you see fejo's fashion shoot no oh, i you feel i've missed this. that one we'll put this on the uh, social media um because he did uh he did it looks like a it looks like a a sort of a, um, a jumper catalogue. It's very, very Aww. funny. He's obviously been trying to trying to be down with the kids. Uh, but yeah, let's keep an eye on Mr. Fejo because I, I wouldn't have said it's been the most uh, uh, the most positive start to his tenure at the head of the popular party. Well, let's move on to our next topic, which is the very serious subject of climate change. As climate change worsens, we are seeing more and more extreme weather. And Spain is no exception to this, whether it's flash flooding, heat waves or that bizarre dump of snow that Madrid received in early 2021. This week has seen a series of alarming news stories in Spanish media highlighting the likelihood of catastrophic warming of the planet by 2.5 degrees, the effect on our health of burning fossil fuels, as well as ozone pollution and never-ending summers in Spain. So Lily, tell us more about this story. I thought it was just that I started a job focusing on climate change that all these news <laughs> stories started popping up. But You're it was, paying more attention yeah, to that, yeah, yeah, I thought, wow. But no, it really has been a week of study after study coming out, not only showing implications for Spain, but all of Europe on climate change. It really feels like every country is quite obsessed at the moment and naturally as they should be. But this week, one of those studies was by the Ecologists in Action and it revealed some pretty bad news for climate change in Spain. Firstly, the report found the majority of Spaniards have this year been breathing in levels of polluted air above the World Health Organization's recommendations. So the report says the polluted air affects the entire Spanish population, except for the northern areas of Gran Canaria, Tenerife, and the cities of Logroño in La Rioja and Pontevedra in Galicia. That's an increase of between 5 and 10 million people affected by air pollution. And when we talk about air pollution, what the scientists are meeting is um, particles like microparticles, nitrogen oxide in the air, and tropospheric ozone, which are emissions from exhaust fumes from you know vehicles, from cars, chemical solvents and the fumes that come out from industrial factories. The territories most affected by the pollution have been divided between the community of Madrid and the northwest of Catalonia. And it may just sound like stats, but this air pollution does directly translate to premature deaths. In Spain in 2019, the victims of pollution were up to 30,000 people. 
that's double what the annual premature deaths were estimated at just two decades ago. So this is this is really affecting people. And on top of that, the state weather agency has said this week we're going to get a third warm spell for the season with daytime and nighttime temperatures once again up to 10 degrees higher than usual. The heat is going to affect all of Western Europe. In France, Germany and Greece, they can see temperatures up to seven degrees higher than the average. And it will continue throughout the week and may even extend into the first days of November. And while there's no complaints from us about longer stretches of summer, it really is concerning climate scientists because naturally if there's not enough rain, we get droughts. And then because of droughts, we get flooding when it does rain. So it's it's not looking good. No, I really worry about the pollution here. You know, you get those atmospheric effects when there's not been a lot of rain. If you drive into the centre from outside of the city, sometimes if you're coming from a, a, an elevated area, you can just see it. You the can smog. see that cloud mm. of smog hanging over the city. And to think that, you know, especially when you've got kids and think that your kids are growing up in this, it's really it's really very worrying. Um, but yeah, isn't it warm at the moment? I mean, the, mm. the, uh, the other night, it was Thursday night, was it? Or was it Wednesday night that was like really, really hot? It still very much feels like... So I, in fact, I haven't even done my wardrobe swap over yet. That's oh, really? <laughs> well, I did it and it's a bit premature yeah, and now exactly, I'm sweltering. Yeah. No, I always leave it to the absolute last minute because you normally do end up getting caught out. Um, interesting to point out that uh, climate is, is subject to culture war in Spain uh, as as it is in other as countries yeah everything I thought I'd turn back to our old friend Juan Carlos Girauta do you remember Juan Carlos Girauta he's the guy that was first with the socialist party then he switched to the pp right, yeah. then he went to uh citizens and <laughs> everyone's saying surely he will join vox at some time soon he's a newspaper columnist and uh, he's uh, normally engaged in some sort of spat with james rhodes on twitter <laughs> most of the time he doesn't like these reports about catastrophic climate change he was making a lot of no fun one of this to be week. fair no one likes them <laughs> no but he's he was more taking a, a, a more critical line he he tweeted repent the end of the world is near we're headed to 2.5 degrees. The model says so. The catastrophe is already here. And then he said, uh, la mierda, which is, you know, as if to say, go to hell, just to say it in a bit of a nicer way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the sort of level of uh, his uh, arguments and discourse. He also uh, was complaining about the woke people. And he said, if you really wanted to fight against greenhouse gases, you would be demanding nuclear energy. And it just blows my mind that at this stage, with everything we know and all of the results that we're seeing from climate change, mm-hmm. this more extreme weather, that there's still people who are... You know, so what's the point? Banging what's the point? drum, yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> and it's not going to be, and it tends to be older people as well, so they're not even going to yeah, be the ones no, that that's, are likely to see Yeah, no, that's why they it. can. That's yeah, exactly. why they can be Just like, it for this us. isn't going to affect me. So this week for our interview, I had a very nice chat with Phil Keetra Melodies. Uh, he is an English gentleman who has probably one of the coolest jobs that you could ever hope to find <laughs> in Spain, especially if you are a football fan or a sports fan in general. So let's hear from Phil. <laughs> Well, Phil, welcome to La Portada podcast. Thank you very much for your time. I know you are a busy man. 
I'm always fascinated to hear about people in Spain with interesting jobs, and I would suggest that yours is one of the most interesting I've come across, and no doubt a dream for any football fan. So tell us exactly what it is that you do. Yeah, it's a, it's a dream job. If you're into Spanish football, then it's definitely a, a good way to, to earn your living. I present the worldwide coverage of Spanish football on La Liga TV in English. So if you're watching Spanish football anywhere around the world, uh, you may be familiar with my dulcet tones and or <laughs> Hellenic face uh, because, uh, yeah, we uh, we do the match day coverage. So pre-match half-time match, post-match, and uh, yeah, um, every every weekend in a studio for many, many hours watching Spanish football and talking about it. How did you end up in Spain? So how did I end up in Spain? Well, I did a Spanish degree at university in London, uh, Hispanic studies, and the uh, third year was a year abroad, as most language uh, degrees are in the, in the UK, and I spent a year living in Granada, uh, which is a fantastic place to be a student, I didn't actually end up learning that much Spanish because I was having a good time <laughs> and I was living with English guys and going out with Americans and, and that kind of thing. So it didn't necessarily help me that much with my language skills, but it did uh, foment uh, interest in and love of Spain. And I thought, wow, this is, a, this is a cool place. I would like to come and live here, I think. So I always had that in the back of my mind. And then I finished my degree and then I did a postgraduate in broadcast journalism and I started working in radio in, in London, but always with the idea in the back of my mind that, ah, oh, Spain, I really like it. I kept sort of visiting Spain, particularly the south of Spain. I, I love the south of Spain. I hadn't really been to Madrid, hadn't actually been to Madrid at all um, and kept visiting the south. And then I made contacts with some people who were working at Real Madrid TV and I got invited to go on there as a guest. And then a job opening came up there and they said, would you like to move to Madrid to work on Real Madrid TV and live in Spain and watch football? And I said, I really think that I do. I think that I, I would like that. But I was wary of the fact that my only other experience of being in Spain was as a student and going out and having a good time is very different to actually moving to a country, working there and making a life. So I was very excited to do it but I was thinking this might not be the same as it was when I was a student and it isn't but it's it's fantastic and I've been here I'm in my 11th year now and I don't think I'm ever moving back to London so yeah never say never but it's it's not it's not the plan at the moment sounds like a familiar story and if I am I right in saying that you have to travel to Barcelona to do La Liga presentation yeah the studios are in Barcelona so I get a a fast train every every Saturday morning up there and I come back on a Monday. So that it does require a certain level of sacrifice on a, on a family level. Uh, but Monday to Fridays, I am around and I have mm. free time uh, to, you know, come on people's podcasts and pick my son <laughs> up from school. So um, it's working out all right at the moment. So yeah, And your own podcast, of course, because you do the Spanish football podcast with Sid Lowe. Uh, how did that come about? How long have you been doing that? Yeah, we have actually been doing that. Uh, I think this is our 10th season doing it. So we started it after, uh, after a year I was here. I, it basically came about as Sid was coming on the show that I was presenting on Real Madrid TV. Uh, he was a guest on there. And we, after the shows, we sort of end up having like chats about football anyway so I started thinking well well, we might as well just record this and make it into a podcast because we were sort of having a little podcast anyway Uh, and and we started doing it at the right time because there weren't that many podcasts out and about then so we sort of were 
the first maybe one of the first podcasts to talk about Spanish football in English so once you once you start a podcast and have a, a, a loyal fan base from the beginning it's it's easier to grow so yeah we've been doing it for for 10 years and that has become a job now uh, because we have enough subscribers on Patreon to make it into a uh, a way of earning a living so yeah we, we dedicate quite a lot of time to that during the week to the podcast well tell me what what is it that Spanish football has in your opinion that makes it so attractive to you know to fans from outside of Spain I think there's listen the football itself is 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 of a high level um, we're recording this uh, a day after a night where Spanish football teams have done absolutely terribly in the in the Champions League and there's only one left in the competition so uh, despite despite what the results might might say Spanish football is actually is actually good there is actually a high level here so it's so it's fun to watch and, and you get good games but I think more than that Spain has Spanish football has Spain to offer as well so a lot of people around the world and lots of people listening to this podcast will be interested in Spain as a country as a culture as, as, as a place to to visit so Spain has that man I mean you and I both I think grew up in grew up in England there's not that many places around England that I would want to do a sort of weekend away in um yeah I, I don't know We're, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna offend anybody but I'm a sort of typical Londoner where I'm very London centric and anywhere outside of London isn't necessarily the um you know particularly on my radar but in Spain there are so many fantastic cities that you can go and have a weekend away watch some high quality football but also just enjoy yourselves it offers so much and even like lesser known places like like Vigo is a, is, is a great place to go. They've got a first division football team where you can go and have a great weekend there and, and enjoy yourself. Uh, Malaga is a hugely underrated uh, city with a great football tradition as well. There's like loads of places. So obviously Spanish football has the football, but has everything that goes around it as well. Like the, the beautiful cities, the climate, the food, the wine. Like mm. I think people buy into that a lot. And I'm really into that myself. So on the podcast, we talk about the football, but we also talk about other stuff as well because we're into it and we know that people listening to the podcast are into it uh, as well because, yeah, Spain is, I was going to say, unparalleled in, in that respect. I mean, there's nice places in Italy. There's nice places in, in France as well. But in terms of good quality football and good quality cities as well. I think on that level, Spain is head and shoulders above everyone else, in my humble opinion. I, I totally agree. But what you need to know in this conversation, I probably should have told you earlier, is that I know absolutely nothing about football. <laughs> so this is a good <laughs> conversation for me to have because I would like you now to tell me what are the big stories this season so far because it's very useful for me for bluffing my way through uh, football chat, which is always necessary. Wow. Okay. What are the big stories this season? Well... Uh, Barcelona have been in financial trouble and terrible financial trouble. Have you heard of Lionel Messi? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> okay, just checking what level we're at here. So, yeah, so you've heard of Lionel Messi, okay. So uh, Barcelona were in very dire financial straits. They had to get rid of uh, Lionel Messi at uh, the start of last season. And uh, subsequently, they have been selling off uh, all different parts of the club. They've sold off parts of their football, uh, their TV rights. They've sold off some of their commercial aspects as well to try and raise money. They got that money. They bought loads of new players and they've just gone out of the Champions League. Uh, so they're in they're in trouble. They're not doing great. Although domestically, they're, they're still there or thereabouts with Real Madrid. But uh, in, off the pitch, there have been all sorts of shenanigans going on with Barcelona. 
Real Madrid are the current Spanish champions. They also won the Champions League uh, last season, so they're the European champions as well. They won the Champions League in really, really, really dramatic fashion, beating some of the best teams from across Europe. They beat PSG from France, who have invested loads of money, and had Lionel Messi. Uh, they beat Manchester City, the champions of England. Uh, they beat Chelsea as well. They beat Liverpool in the final. Uh, they did it in really dramatic fashion. So Real Madrid are flying. And they're on the crest of a wave. Their, their stadium's being redone as well. The Bernabeu, I don't know if you've driven past there recently, but it's going to look like a magnificent spaceship when it's finished in a, in a few months. So they're, they're flying high. And Atletico Madrid are the other big team as well. Um, they're not doing so well. Their manager, Diego Simeone, has been there for 11 years it's an un, 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 unheard of tenure in Spanish football. Everyone sacks their manager after two games if they're not doing well, but they've stuck with Simeone for 11 years. He's brought them lots of success. But this season, there are loads of questions whether he should go, uh, whether his time has come to an end and the team isn't doing brilliantly on the pitch. So that's a very concise summary of what's going on in the, sort of the top three uh, teams. For more on Spanish football, may I direct you to the Spanish Football Podcast, uh, <laughs> where we talk about this and much, much more in, in, in detail. But yeah, that's a sort of brief, brief summary of what's going on. I was going to give you a chance to plug all your stuff at the end, but you've done it already, so that's great. One question I'd like to explore is what are the kind of differences between Spanish football and uh, other countries? And commentary style is something that uh, jumps out to me. Uh, I mean, commentary style is incredibly different here. Um, it's the wrong way round here, uh, which is when you listen to it on the radio, you're not watching the game. So you want someone to describe what's going on in the actual game, right? That yeah. doesn't happen here. Uh, when you listen to it on the radio, you've got six or seven guys in the studio, one guy in the stadium, and they're just having a chat basically about <laughs> maybe the game, but sort of other stuff as well. I've listened to guys talking about what they had for lunch, you know, and then if something <laughs> happens in the game, oh, Oh, let's go to the guy in the state. And, you know, it, you're not really being told what's happening in the game. It's sort of a chat around the match, which is very, very different to English style radio commentary, where you listen to a game on, a, on, the, on the radio and they're telling you exactly what is going on. They're describing it to you because you can't see. On TV here, they tell you absolutely everything. It's like he passes the ball to him, now out wide to him, and then yeah. he puts a ball into the box. And it's like, I concede that. You don't need to do that. I like, <laughs> whereas English TV commentary is different. It's sort of it's an a lighter touch. Yeah, you're there to sort of accompany the, the visuals. Like, I can see what's going on. Okay, you could maybe sort of you know tell me a little bit, you know, which player it is or where he's going, but you don't need to say every single little thing, which is what they do here. So the TV commentary is a bit more intense and... Uh, when a goal is scored, you yeah. know when a goal is scored, uh, both on the radio and, and on the TV, because they they do tend to say the word goal repeatedly many times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually very different broadcast styles to uh, to the UK. Um, and it's funny because I see a lot of my colleagues who, you know, we've been here for a long time and we consume football in Spanish. Like we watch Spanish football on Spanish TV, listen to Spanish radio. And it is a little bit difficult not to allow or, or to try and 
not let that Spanish broadcasting style seep into your English language broadcasting style because if you're constantly hearing that then okay I'm not saying I desperately want to scream goal when a goal is scored but there are there are things that do worm their way into how you talk about Spanish football so um, mm. yeah, there's a, the, that, that's something to be a, to be aware of and um, yeah in terms of the actual football um, Spanish football is a lot more technical uh, they're really good at sort of passing the ball around. Uh, English football, for example, is a lot more physical. They're a lot better at running and tackling. I mean, this is very, very broad. And, you know, there mm. are all sorts of things that would uh, uh, perhaps prove this to be wrong. But generally speaking, when we're generalising such such a big area of, of expertise, then, yeah, Spanish football is a little bit more technical. And uh, uh, they tend to be sort of actual better footballers. Whereas in the UK, you need to be more of an athlete. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Phil. I should be subscribing to your podcast to try and fill the huge gaps in my, in my football knowledge. But uh, yeah, that's been a, a very illuminating chat. Absolute pleasure. So what do you think, Lily? Oh, he sounds like a great guy. Sounds like a good job. But did you feel like you were bluffing just a tiny oh, bit always. when you're talking about football? Always. I have a neighbour who I absolutely adore, but he just every time he every time he sees me, he talks to me about football. And between that and the fact that he's quite difficult to understand anyway, I just do that. Yeah, nodding and smiling and going. See, oh, see. did you see them play the other night? Yeah. Like, just keep it really broad. No, but Phil, I don't know. I haven't decided whether to tweet it or not because he did actually ask me not to, but I had to take a little screen grab of. Our Zoom conversation because being the seasoned podcaster that he is, he said, "Oh, hang on a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll go into my son's room." And he basically got <laughs> got into his son's bunk bed, and his son's got one of those IKEA kind of like star tunnels that Tent go over the back. Yeah, exactly. so he was just sitting there with this background, this backdrop of stars, oh, and uh, sitting in a, in a bed. No, he did. He looked very, very funny. I might, uh-huh. I might add it to our Twitter. Uh, I'll ask him again. <laughs> add cute. it to our Twitter thread. All right then. Well, unless you are a Patreon listener, all that is left now is for our weekly roundup of other news. Take it away, Lily. First up, the government has begun testing a new text message alert system devised by the General Directorate of Civil Protection called ES Alert. The text messages give advice on how to act or how to get through an emergency situation, so don't freak out if you receive one of these. Most autonomous regions in Spain are trialling the messages and the technology this week uh, right through into mid-November. Next, a 50-year-old man who barricaded himself inside a home in Ciudad Real has killed two people and injured three others before being shot down by the civil guard. The two killed were a local police officer and a tractor driver from the area. A civil guard officer, another local police officer and the father of the gunman were injured. And a miraculous medical story to end the roundup on a high note. An anonymous donor has paid for a Spanish toddler named Oliver to be flown to Barcelona from Mexico for an emergency brain tumour operation. The flight cost close to €200,000. And Oliver's parents say they're hopeful with the work of the medical team and they remain in contact with the anonymous person who made the donation. 
All right, well, let's wrap it up there then. This has been episode five of season two of La Portada. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter. And this episode was recorded on October the 28th in the city of Madrid. Don't forget to get in touch. Our socials are at La Portada Pod and our email is laportadapod at gmail.com. Don't forget, we love to see where you're listening from and feel free to send us a voice note if you want to be on the pod. And please support us on Patreon if you haven't done so already. You'll get the episode two days early and you'll also get to enjoy a separate episode of bonus content. This week, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll be talking about some of the legendary Spanish phrases uttered over the years, including Por que no te callas? and other memorable quotes, most of them from Mariano Rajoy. Head to patreon.com forward slash la portada pod and buy me and Lily a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego.